0: Cheers. Cheers, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Um, So I was coaching some high school students um, earlier this week, and the kids were, like, swearing up a storm in their coaching. What? Yeah. I mean, they're, like, high school juniors and seniors, and they're like, this word makes me sound cool. I guess. And I was like, oh, I'm, like, the teacher in this situation. Do I go (laughs) along with it or no? You should probably go Watch your mouth. Shame them. Gonna wash your mouth out with soap. (laughs) Well, I had to shame them for their bow holds, and I really tried not to do that. (laughs) But this one kid was like, Professional violinists tell me I do it wrong and I have to do it this way. And I was like, Excuse me, do you not think I'm a professional? I'm a professional. Like, we're gonna have a bow hold conversation right now. Anyway, they should be shamed if they're juniors and seniors, just saying. They were they were interesting <laughs> kids, for sure. Um, so hi, again, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> this is my friend Kelsey. This is Kelsey. Guilty as
1: charged, this is Kelsey.
0: <laughs> and my name is Asia. Um, I realized in other episodes, I like kind of tried to keep it a secret, what we were drinking and um, what we're listening to. But I put that right in the episode description, and the piece and composer are in the title, like they are the title. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what's happening, and then we're going to wait a little bit to get there.
1: Drum roll, please.
0: (laughs) Okay, so we are drinking French 75s, and we will be listening to Debussy's Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. Y'all. Wee oui, oui. oui, oui. Where's our baguette? Oh, I'm sorry. Baguettes would be so good. Missed opportunity. Yeah. I was okay, so I was gonna ask you about your favorite snack later as part of your introduction. You probably could answer that. <laughs> Is it for pizza?
1: me. <laughs> it's pizza. We <laughs> love pizza. <laughs> we um, like pizza pals. We
0: are pizza pals. Um, but Is that a snack though? Depends on how much you have. Yeah, well. I always have a lot. Yeah. Every pizza is a personal pizza (laughs) if you try hard and believe in yourself. That's right. I know. I know
1: we'd be friends.
0: (laughs) Um, But yeah, one of my favorite snacks is like a nice crispy baguette slice with um, goat cheese and then a balsamic reduction. Oh, that does sound really good. Yeah. I think I've tried Mm -hmm. to make that for our bachelorette viewing nights before. Maybe. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So hi, Kelsey. Thank you for being here. Anytime. Um, so I'll let you introduce yourself after I share. You are a Twin Cities Symphony OG. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> What's that mean? That you have participated in every single event. Oh. You've done all three oh. micro pops. I suppose. Yeah.
1: Before your that. quartet
0: even had a name. Wow. You were doing micro. That is pretty OG, isn't it? That's OG. And then you played in our first concert last September. Yes. That was fun. It was fun. It was exhausting. It was yep. exhilarating. In a good way, yeah. Yeah, it really was... Really rewarding, too.
1: It was really fun. Yeah. I feel like I. it was a good way to really jump into a big project. It had been a while since I really got to do that,
0: but it was really rewarding.
1: Really fun. Well,
0: I'm glad to hear that. And it's it, like musically it was also super scary. I don't know that I've learned a piece um as challenging as um Schoenberg's Transfigured Night. Definitely me. so either. quickly. Yep. Really quick and dirty. <laughs> quick and dirty. That's how we like <laughs> it. To put it professionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're just like professionals over here. But anyway, um so tell our listeners a little bit about um your career instrument you play, where you went to school, and um, I guess I'm kind of throwing the punchline here. Is that a saying? It is now. Um, why did you get into music?
1: Oh, OK. Well, sure, so I'll start easy. Uh, my name is Kelsey Farr. I play the viola, as has been previously, previously stated. Um, I went to the Eastman School of Music for both my undergrad and master's degrees in viola performance. Um, the reason I started music, you know, I found out pretty quickly that it was fun and easy to do. It didn't feel like work. It just felt like really natural to go and play music with your friends and have fun doing it and, and, uh, get paid to do it. It's, it seems almost, uh, too good to be true, but for me, it's just about as much of the lifestyle as it is the actual music making and viola playing. But, um, you know, and also I, I teach music. I teach uh, violin and viola private lessons at the Woodbury Schmidt Music and love my kids and really find it rewarding to uh, make an impact on their musical lives. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just really more fun than anything, I think is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to work very hard, really, is what it comes down <laughs> to.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, I feel like some people think that we don't really work that hard but we do we do
1: and I shouldn't be underestimating yeah how much work and dedication it really does take to make a music
0: career yeah and I think uh, I talked a little bit in the last episode about talent and how I don't really believe in talent I believe in um people who do the work and think it is fun to do that work yeah and I think um well I, I feel a little bit differently about the work I don't actually like practicing very much <laughs> I do it I because, didn't say I like practice <laughs> well okay I do it because I have to um yeah. and but I love hearing that you think like a lot of that is fun and I mean the product and the result is the greatest reward for all of those hours spent it's agreed like playing and drilling something and that's not my favorite part of it for sure yeah
1: but just um You know, my favorite thing is just showing up with four friends to like a wedding gig and playing quartet music together for a couple hours and getting paid to do that. It seems almost, you know, unrealistic, but it's really fun. You just get to hang out with your friends, make good music.
0: Yeah, that's true. And call it a day, you know? Yeah. I guess I don't look at weddings like that. I don't really, I don't like doing weddings. You don't like doing wedding so much? No. No, I just, bridezillas, man. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't matter how nice they are leading up to the event, day of, or, like, sometimes afterwards, like, I mean, any performance stuff just happens, and, like, I don't know, is like, I've gotten mean emails after the event, and I'm like, but you said you didn't care Seriously? about that. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I that never... kind of turned me off to it. Yeah, definitely. Or, like, one time, um, let, let me just say, outdoor weddings in Minnesota are always a bad idea, <laughs> Um, but there was one that I played in May it was actually a favor for someone. So I was doing it for free and weather in Minnesota is unpredictable. It was super cold. Mm-hmm. Like we were still wearing winter jackets and it was so cold that I couldn't move my fingers. So I wasn't playing prelude music because I figured what's more important, the prelude music or the music they weren't during, during the ceremony. Right. And the mother of the bride came up and yelled at me. And thankfully someone else was there kind of like acting as my bodyguard. And she was like, it's cold. She can't play right now. And I was just like, I was, um, I I really. Oh, she went to bat for you? She went to bat for me. That is awesome. Thank you, Kathy. She was (laughs) Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, she was wonderful. (laughs) But it's just like stuff like that. It's like there are conditions, especially when you're playing for free. Right. That just like don't work. Yeah. Anyway, so um, you're a violist, you're a badass violist. Oh, jeez, thanks. Nice. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs>
1: oh, you can say ass, that's right.
0: Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you do if you didn't do music? You know, I think about that quite
1: a bit, actually, because, you know, what we do is so, um, I hate to say physically demanding, because, you know, it's not like we're athletes or anything like that, but it really does, as you found out earlier in the year... If you get injured, even in the slightest bit, you know, you're out of work for, you know, months at a time. And mm-hmm. that can be really, really upsetting and really tragic. And so I think a lot of musicians ha- actually have to have something in their back pocket ready to go in mm-hmm. case, God forbid, an injury happens or anything like that. So,
0: well, my teacher in college called us Olympians of the small muscle groups. Like, we don't think of ourselves as athletes, but it it is important for us to have, um, some sort of routine and physical fitness and our health is super important to our ability to perform just like an athlete and absolutely like i don't think we should discredit that
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely like we, we tend to right we tend yeah to discredit it yeah exactly but yeah it is it is physically demanding it's
1: physically demanding you have to be able to have good control over your body and um like you said that small muscle group i mean it's really really hard to um maintain that, that healthy lifestyle. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess if I had a gun to my head and pick had to pick <laughs> another career, you know. You can't play violin anymore. I, <laughs> <laughs> there, gun to your head. Oh, no. I don't um, have I, an actual gun. There's this no gun here. Just for our for <laughs> <laughs> for listeners, there's no gun in this place. Um, I, I've always been really interested in interior design. Oh. Um, my dad's an architect. He does um, commercial buildings around... Um, the Midwest, especially Minnesota, obviously, and um, has access to a lot of really interesting resources for like interior design. And we've talked about it before, and um, it's really cool. You know, I've always not that I have a, a good eye for it, but you know, I think it would be fun to learn something kind of along those lines.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see like if you applied yourself there, like you do in your music career, that you would be very good at it, and everything is yeah, a I learning think, experience. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess that would probably be my next go-to thing i don't know what about you
0: um honestly kind of along the same lines i've always been really intrigued by architecture in particular um i had to explain to someone why the chamber of secrets is my favorite harry potter book (laughs) and i think it is because like my scary movie um likes i really like the ones that are about houses like Stephen King's Rose Red is one of my favorite movies. I need to read that book. But it's about a house that's um, constantly rebuilding itself and changing. And just, like, the idea that there's this castle and this, like, hidden chamber that, like, might be there, might not be there. I just, I find that so intriguing. That is really cool, yeah. So I might go into architecture. I took an interior design class in high school. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I mean, it was just, like... In high school? cutting pictures out of magazines and putting them on different paper and then cutting that paper out and putting it on a big scrapbook. Yeah, cool. It was basically a scrapbooking class, if I really think about <laughs> it. <laughs> but, Gotta start somewhere. But all the pictures were <laughs> pictures of rooms. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But, I mean, yeah, I, I like that stuff, too. Yeah, awesome. Yeah.
1: Maybe we should just quit music and start an interior design company.
0: Okay, let's go. Cool.
1: We'll call it My Shacks Shacks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My Shacks are Shacks. Jack's bar great
1: musical <laughs> podcast over bye
0: <laughs> bye this was for me Mozart. sorry <laughs> sorry you didn't get to hear any WC yeah, right. <laughs> um okay what do you do for fun oh you know that's a really good question
1: um you know for the longest time music was my fun activity you know it was like kind of going to orchestra rehearsal and um, playing music was kind of my fun outlet or whatever but now that's more of a career I mean You know, I really like just getting together with gal pals, Mm -hmm. hanging out, you know, whenever I'm not teaching or whatever, um, you know.
0: Watching The Bachelor. Watching The Bachelor or Bachelorette. I don't know if I actually shared this with the group, but I called this summer my summer of (laughs) rosé. That's pretty accurate, yes. (laughs) Because I think I drank more rosé this summer than I have in my whole life. (laughs) Yep. You and me both.
1: Yeah. Um. (laughs) you know little uh trivia nights are fun oh
0: trivia nights!
1: I also love watching tv which I know is not a good thing to talk about but I I love it I like watching shows yeah it's really a good way to unwind for me yeah um
0: but you know Uh, that was actually my next question what is your favorite show I know what our favorite show would be. So yes,
1: as some of you may know at home, Asia and I both love Grey's Anatomy. Yes, it's been going on for sixteen years now. Yeah, yeah, it has been. And talk about OG. I mean, I've watched it from the beginning. Did you I haven't. It the, no, oh, I started man. in college. Oh, okay. Well, that's yes. that's still fine. But um, so, Grey's Anatomy is always one that I I feel attached to. Like mm-hmm. I like I have to watch it every week just because, for the sake
0: of it lasting for 16 years. I mean, that's the the longest longest running medical medical drama. drama. Longer than ER as of last season. Yeah. So that's really amazing. And it's run by a woman, a black woman. There you go. Which is just so
1: great. Shout out to Shonda.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, But you know, I mean, if I really had to break it down, I think my desert Island show is that 70s show. Just because I've seen every episode like a thousand times and I know it inside and out. The Office I love. Yes. Pretty much any, like, sitcom, really, that I mm-hmm. can just turn off my brain and listen to is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's
0: probably my top few. Okay. Yeah. Um, we kind of talked about this. What is your favorite snack? Pizza. <laughs>
1: pizza you know maybe is more towards a meal than anything snack you know i love cheesy doritos mm. those are dangerous to have in the house for me mm-hmm. I chips also, of any kind
0: like i can't buy them yeah because i'll eat the whole bag yep and then i'll be sad it's until dangerous. i go grocery shopping again yeah
1: right yeah um i also really love uh donuts oh. One of my bestest friends kurt from college bestest, bestest friends um <laughs> kurt love donuts. And I always thought that was kind of weird cuz I was never a big donut eater when I was a kid or anything. But then, I mean, once you try all the fancy flavors and the frostings and the sprinkles well, and all
0: that, Okay, didn't you meet Kurt when you were in school though? Yeah. So you were in New York.
1: Rochester, yeah.
0: Yeah. A friend of mine who's from California mentioned there are fewer donuts per capita in the Twin Cities than anywhere else in the state. What? States. Maybe not anywhere else, but he was really upset. By the small amount of donut shops. I had no idea. Well, I mean, I come think it's to think changed of it, since then. It has,
1: but yeah, but. come to think of it, when I was growing up, donuts weren't
0: really a go to
1: thing. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm happy to have them now. Yeah, and Mojo Monkey is just down the street from here.
1: I've been there a couple times. Yep.
0: Yeah. They have good coffee too. And I their coffee. Yeah. yeah,
1: yummy donuts. Yeah. Um, yep. My favorite is like a really good iced blueberry
0: donut. Mm hmm. Oh, man. I I'm like making me hungry. Feelings. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we should have snacks. I No, 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 no. A baguette. <laughs> Baguettes. <laughs> baguette. Um, okay, so this is a fun little thing we did with our friend group. I didn't know <laughs> what you're going to ask me. You know? Because you saw my notes. Yes. <laughs> what key signature would you be? Oh, no, I
1: didn't. That was a different one.
0: Um, What key signature? What? I remember your answer if you don't remember your answer.
1: Did I say C major? because It's easy. Because <laughs> <laughs> even now I was like, um, I don't know, C major, all white keys, not that much effort.
0: It's like all uncomplicated, natural. everyone likes it. Yeah. Which I think describes you. Like, you're not complicated, everyone likes you.
1: Supernatural. <laughs> I didn't mean to be super, not supernatural, like super space.
0: You are natural. a supernatural dealist. <laughs> it's great. It's super- great i'm a ghost by the way (laughs) (laughs) welcome to my haunted apartment (laughs) um okay and then we started this last episode what hogwarts house are you in this is what i thought you were going to ask me
1: i would say hufflepuff hardcore Mm -hmm.
0: you're uncomplicated everyone likes you
1: probably for the same reasons that
0: i like c major the best or the same reasons why i'm a hufflepuff yeah
1: no conflict keep it easy
0: yeah totally that is totally you i don't know what are you I'm a Slytherin. Uh, I'm all about conflict. Cool. Which is actually really funny because there have been a few times that you and I have like, I remember we were having a conversation about, sorry to get technical, um, having straight bows when you played. <laughs> yeah. And I was like all arguing for it and like getting revved up in my violinist Slytherin way. And you were just like, you know what, like, it doesn't even really it's matter. It's fine. We can talk later about this. Yeah. But you didn't mean it. You were just like, I'm ready to be done arguing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sounds about right yeah so okay that's (laughs) all my questions for my kelsey intro questions
1: i feel like the audience knows me better
0: now yeah i feel like the audience didn't get to know my other guests because i failed um okay so i have some corrections before we get into the episode oh okay um you actually shared this first (laughs) one with me and i don't know what happened Um, The Rite of Spring was not written in 1981. (laughs) This is one of two pieces that I know off the top of my head the date it was written. It was written in 1913. The other one I know is uh, Beethoven's Third Symphony, 1803. Ah. Those are just like two I know off the top of my head. I think I saw something in my notes that said 81. Like that's not even close to 1913. No. Like not even a little bit. We had a good laugh about that one.
1: Just because we, we knew that you know... Yeah, (laughs) It just came out of your mouth so confidently. It's like, oh, that piece wasn't even written until 1981.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for telling me that. (laughs) Um, Uh, Also, in episode one, um, I said that there is a ligature between the reed and the English horn, the English horn proper, the actual instrument. It's called a bocal. Bocal. That's a weird word, isn't it? I, I think, like, right after I said it. I don't know. The ligature is the thing that puts a reed on a mouthpiece on, like, a saxophone or a clarinet. Yeah, like the little metal clamp. Yeah, I don't know. Um, And then my dad shared this one with me. Um, Crabs are not arachnids. They are, oh, I forgot how to pronounce this, malacostrica, which is the class, but they're in the same phylum as arachnids, which is arthropoda. When were you talking about crabs? At the very end. Oh, okay. Yeah, music huh. podcast. We talk about crabs. I guess it took a turn that day. Yeah, it did take a
1: turn. <laughs>
0: this is too much lizard talk. <laughs> okay, um, so that was corrections corner. That is a um, a segment borrowed from my favorite podcast, My Favorite Murder. Nice. <laughs> Where they constantly correct themselves. Good for you. So get into the actual round two yeah subject matter yep okay so the drink we are drinking is a french 75 and Mm. I'm just going to read from you from this book called the joy of mixology by Gary would you say Regan or Reagan I would say Regan Regan there's no A so Mm. Gary R Gary R um that sounds like a word. Little Gary. Gary R. Um, but this book is great. Um, I got it when I started bartending. and um, Well, after I tell you about the French 75, I'll tell you what's yeah, hear great about this book. So um, it's of the family of champagne cocktails. Um, and this is straight from the book. The French 75 is one of those wonderful cocktails that is bound to stir up controversy. Should it be prepared with gin or cognac? lemon juice or lime juice the oldest recipe that I've seen is in the Savoy Savoy should have thought about how to say that earlier cocktail book in 1930 Harry Craddock prescribes gin and lemon juice and remarks hits with remarkable precision Mm. to my knowledge it wasn't until David Embry stated that the drink should be made with cognac that the brandy version reared its head I'm going to stick with the original gin-based recipe, which is um in here it says half a teaspoon simple syrup, half ounce fresh lemon juice, 1 ounce gin, 4 ounces chilled champagne. Um Oh, it says to stir it briefly, which I didn't do. But my recipe is um because I'm not going to get out a teaspoon measuring and um a jigger which measures ounces. Mm-hmm. Um I did a half ounce of simple syrup. Um Which, simple syrup is sugar and water, usually equal parts sugar and water. Um, Because we're adding champagne to this, I actually made it a weaker. So I have... um, I used a half cup water and a quarter cup sugar. Oh, sure. Just because I don't like things to be too terribly sweet. Um, Yeah. And it's not too tart either. Like, I'm not missing the sugar. Yeah. Um, And then I did... Oh, I didn't measure the lemon juice. I just squeezed half a lemon into it. And then I actually did an ounce and a half of gin. And then um, I've always just filled the glass with champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting that he says to stir, because when you have a lemon or a lime juice in your drink, usually that means that you shake it. Oh, sure. Um, the champagne, I guess. You don't want to shake Well, you shake, I mean, yeah. You add the champagne after you shake it. Not oh, sure. oh yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have... I'm not a bartender. Real, real big problems. Um, but typically, the drinks that you stir are the ones that are all spirit-based, like a martini or a Manhattan or um, an Old Fashioned or things like that, where you don't have any juice or sugar. It's just all liquors or liqueurs mm. in the drink. Um, because shaking, people call it bruising, the oh, alcohol, sure. yeah. I don't think it tastes any different, but maybe I'm not that sophisticated, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to share with you that the next recipe in this book is called the French squirrel. Oh, I was reading
1: that, actually. Yeah, was, <laughs> we should probably do that next time. And
0: the family is squirrel sours. Yeah, I'll leave my bookmark in here. We'll do that. The French squirrel. sours. sour? I don't know what that is. And then the description, this is my favorite in the squirrel sour family. I'm like, I've never heard of a squirrel drink can't I say that i have. I don't know what that means. French
1: squirrel, too. French squirrel. They're very different from American squirrels. They must be. Here your armpits. We <laughs> we. Oui, <oui. I'm> sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they shower less frequently. Oh, geez. Sorry. We love the French. Can, yeah, I was going to um, say, this is taking a turn. My bad. Um, so the reason I love the Joy of Mixology is it has um, a bunch of recipes in it. But also it talks about how to build cocktails and how to build a cocktail program and... Um, program. Program. Wow. Yeah. I don't I don't know why that word came out of my mouth. I like it. Um, but it also talks about um, how to memorize all the recipes that you need to memorize as a bartender. Mm. So um, you think of the components in a drink. Um, and so, for example, what we're drinking right now is... Lemon juice, simple syrup, and gin topped with champagne. There's another drink called a Tom Collins, which is all the same stuff, but instead of champagne, you top it with soda. Mm-hmm. So it's less sweet. Um, and another – so you kind of, like, sub out ingredients and just memorize from there. Um, so another example is the mojito from the last episode where you muddle mint, um, There's simple syrup, lime juice – Um, rum, and then you top that with soda water, there's a drink called the Southside, which is basically a mojito, but you use gin instead of rum. Oh, I'd probably like that even better, yeah. Yeah, Southside is a really good drink. And then um, when we made it, our garnish was a spanked mint leaf, which means (laughs) you, you put a mint leaf in your palm, and you just... Dirty! And it... Oh, it was really fun, especially when I was having a hard day behind the bar and someone ordered Southside. I was like, great, I get to slap my own hand. But it is really great um, because it expresses the flavor, and, like, you instantly just smell mint everywhere, and then you put that in the drink, and hopefully your bartender's hands are clean. Um, Mine always were because I'm an obsessive hand washer. I mean, good. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so. Spank that mint. (laughs) Spank that mint. clean hands. So we picked this drink because WC is a French man and he's kind of the epitome of French impressionism. Totes. Um, but actually, instead of champagne, we're using La Marca Prosecco because it's less expensive than champagne. Oh, sure. Um, and then if you really want to have some bubbly, but um, get more bang for your less buck, um, Cava is the way to go. It's, um, it's just another bubbly wine drink that's less expensive than Prosecco, hmm. um, which is less expensive than champagne.
1: And so, yeah, what's the thing? It's, it's sparkling wine unless less. it's from Champagne?
0: From the Champagne region of France, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And the only real champagne I've ever had is Veuve Clicquot, which is really great. It's an orange label, and yeah. That I sounds good. I love it. Um, and then, so we're using an Italian component instead of the French component, which is champagne. And then our gin, gin is British and this is Boodle's gin. Um, I was going to read some stuff about the gin on the site, but the most interesting thing that I thought I found about Boodle's gin specifically is um, they don't use lemon in their recipe because they think a good drink should have a wedge of lemon on it. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Um, so this goes into my parents' suggestions that we incorporate the drink more, and I think I just described the drink way more than I have in other episodes. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I had this I uh, this concept it. in my head for this podcast, and then like every episode, I like haven't done it. Oh well, that's okay. okay. Get better every time. Um, so my mom's suggestion was that we slurp the drink more. So that's right. She told me. Make sure you you drink audibly. Yeah. So let's just try that, and okay. then we'll have people say what they think. So like, <coughs> I actually
1: got a little bit down my throat. Are you okay? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm fine. <laughs> yes, I'm fine.
0: Okay. So... <laughs> I don't know that that sounds. No, it's not super a,
1: great. not the best sound. And also,
0: there's danger. Our the sound guy Mark is over. shaking his head no. <laughs> So we've heard from Mark. Shout out to us. Mark, by the way. Yes. Thank you, Mark. Um Okay, and then the other suggestion which I really like is a drinking game. Yes. Always a good idea. So for me personally, um after spending so much time editing the first episode that I actually then sent on to Mark to finish for me. Um there, I just did it. I realize I say um a lot, and it's really annoying. And I would really like to stop. So anytime <laughs> I say it, please call me out. I I'll will try. drink. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, just did it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take very long. It didn't. That's. I'm just. <laughs> this is gonna make me better. That's funny. The other component to the drinking game. <laughs> I did think that I was waiting for you to that. do it again. You were. Is. We're going to drink when we say the composer's name, Yep. which is... Claude Debussy. <laughs> Some oh. might say W C. Some might say
1: Debussy. Some might say... Is there a way to
0: say it like oh, how there's Bach and there's Bach? Debussy. <laughs> <laughs> Debussy.
1: <laughs> what? No, I think it's just... Well, how would a French person say it? I'm not good at French.
0: I'm not either. Like, Debussy, Debussy. Debussy. Ashley always says
1: you have to purse your
0: lips to the door when you speak French. I think you only pretend to pronounce some of the consonants. Hmm. And that's how you speak French. But Debussy isn't one of those super... Oh, cheers, yep. Okay. It isn't one of those super complicated French words where there's all those letters and you're just like... True. Did you say those or did you not? The other part of the drinking game... So anytime we say, anytime I say, um, which I've just had to stop myself like six times. Yeah, I'm going to be half in the bag by the end of this. (laughs) Anytime we say WC. Okay. Anytime. This is WC specific now. We're taking a pause on the drinking game for the explaining the drinking game. Of course. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to finish. (laughs) What piece? (laughs) What piece? (laughs) What? (laughs) Anytime we mention French Impressionism. Oh, Sure. Or you had another idea, what was that?
1: Oh, anytime, yeah, but then it turns out all of my examples have chromaticism <laughs> in them. Turns out he uses that a lot. Okay, turns out you say um a lot too, so I think we're in the,
0: <laughs> we're along the right track here. Okay, so maybe we'll just stick to when I say um, um composer's name, composer's country of origin, which oh. is. Okay, France. so anytime we say France. Or French. So French impressionism would... Yeah. Good luck to us. So our... Um, dang it. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even hear that one. Our piece. We're finally getting to the piece. Hi. This is poor me. Hi, welcome Sorry. to
1: our musical podcast. And we are
0: finally talking about the music yeah. part. <laughs> when we talked about the drink. It's, it's all right, yeah. Me, but. It is called Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. I listened to three podcasts about this piece and they're all by British people. Oh wow. And it was so beautiful to hear them pronounce the French name of it, which is Pre- prelude à la première d'un fond. And I just totally stumbled over that and sounded That
1: no, that was a way better pronunciation than I would have
0: done. Well it sounded That's really cute when they were British. And oh, yeah, And, oh, one of the podcasts was the BBC podcast where it was just a bunch of people talking about the piece and the first time they heard it. And it was it was really nice to hear... Um... I just did it again. Gonna it, I'm going to an interesting. I'm sorry. I just topped mine off with That's more fine. Prosecco if you want to do that. I mean, maybe in a bit. After five more ums, we'll do that. <laughs> okay. But it was really nice to hear, like, the stressful times that people were going through. I think one woman had a very sick son. It sounds like they didn't really give a lot of background on the people, but it sounded like he only lived to be six months old and she found this piece to be a really relaxing just release and escape from that and remembering mm-hmm. that she was able to hold her son for six months and it was just really beautiful. I often discredit people who say, oh, yeah, I listen to classical music when I want to relax. And I'm like, relax. It's supposed to make you feel something. Sometimes. But, yeah, exactly. Sometimes. Says the Hufflepuff C major viola. Yeah, yes. sometimes, not always. Yeah. And it was That's just good for thing. me to hear people talking about the memories they associate with this piece and how it brought them through hard times in their life. And why should I discredit people for saying I listen to classical music to unwind anytime people want to listen to classical music.
1: That's something I was reason. actually talking to my mom about this the other day about how oftentimes I or we can think, you know, Oh, this is a job for us. You know, I'm playing concert tonight. It's work. I got to go to work tonight, you know, from seven thirty until 10, you play a couple pieces, mm-hmm. but I forget that that's entertainment for the rest of the world and yeah. they can sit there and relax. And even though it's work to us, it's, it's entertainment for everyone else and relaxation and therapy and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Catharsis.
0: Yeah. It's a really beautiful escape for some people. And because we work so hard to give people that, I think it, it's hard for us to remember
1: that. And this is such a good piece for that too, because it's so almost otherworldly and ethereal. It brings you to another Place and time and you don't yeah. quite feel like you're on earth anymore for 10 minutes. Yeah,
0: it's oh, it's truly wonderful.
1: Uh, I didn't say it. No, I could see that we thinking about yeah, it.
0: I was. <laughs> we'll have to say. This is sounding like the Knights of Knee. <laughs> we just watched that not too long ago. Good movie. Oh, it is a good movie. <clears throat> so before we actually dive into the piece, I wanted to ask when have you played this? You know, come to think of it, I played it once or twice in
1: college. I'm pretty sure it was a conductors forum uh, concert or something like that. So I think a few um, conductors wanted to. It maybe was for their final or something. I'm not sure. Like so, the stand means up and student conductors. Student conductor. So I was in college. Um, it wasn't a professional performance of it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe once, ugh, I couldn't even tell you, honestly, it's been several years, so maybe I was out in Rochester or something, I don't really know. Okay. But um, one of my examples, actually, that I found before, I remember I had a flashback to the first time I played this and I was thinking, oh, yep, I never know where I am in that part. I just <laughs> kind of like <laughs> float around, kind of watch the conductor, kind of listen, and you just feel like you're like floating with no rhythmic stability at
0: all. Yeah. One of the most beautiful things I heard about this piece in the podcasts I listened to is that it's super well-crafted. Debussy was very meticulous, but it's so well-crafted that it sounds improvised. Mm, that's a good point, yeah. And I think this French Impressionist music is so closely related to jazz, and I think that's the way that it is related. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard a lot of jazz in there too Yeah Yeah, And just the thought that like Everything kind of like Flows and blossoms out of one thing And when we were trying to Actually Pick the start times and end times For all of the musical examples It was kind of Like we want to wait for a phrase to end Yeah But it's hard to find that Pretty arbitrary Yeah It'll be a lot of like Fade in fade out maybe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah And um, I mentioned to you Dang it Oh. Oops, sorry. So now I'm gonna start saying dang it instead of <laughs> How'd you like that I listeners? Just took a
1: sip, everyone.
0: <laughs> Do you hear that, Mom? <laughs> there was a podcast I listened to where it mentioned that there are only two root position chords in the entire piece. Yeah. Root position chords are the ones that make you feel like we are home. This is our base. This is music is all about the creation and release of tension. So first you have to establish that home base and root position tonic chords are like absolutely that home base that you establish. And the only root position chords are the one that there's one near the beginning and there's one near the very end. So Debussy does a real good job of creating that tension. And then he's like, well, I guess I should give you some sort of resolution at the end. Mm Right? Right
1: but it's funny though whenever you get that home key that home tonic root position chords in music you feel like you're home again and I think he purposely keeps us away from home for longer so that we go on this journey with him and then finally when we get home again it's so much more satisfying Mm -hmm. than than other composers might do
0: yeah totally it is almost like going out into space Mm -hmm. it's wonderful so should we listen to some of this yeah we should probably talk about the piece a little bit yeah let's hear let's hear that first sample that we have that we have prepared for you today yeah
1: beautiful flute solo.
0: Yes, it is a beautiful flute solo.
1: <clears throat> I like how he or she really takes his or her t- time with it. There, time with it.
0: <laughs> Way to use those pronouns. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what I really love about WC's music... Oh, that's a trick. Oh, yep, there we go. ...is you have to play with a different tone color. Mm-hmm. And I think the flute really sets that tone off it's this like kind of fuzzy sound but it's still one of the podcasts i listened to this woman she was talking so poetically it it was just wonderful she called it piercing in its intensity Mm. Mm -hmm. and i loved that it it is so piercing it like it's just like this crystal dagger that goes like straight through your soul Crystal dagger. Wow. Wonderful. That's the poet in me. I talk about, I'm feeling that death.
1: <laughs> what I like best about that um, opening melody too is the, um, the mystery and it's the, the arbitrary aspect of it. You know, you have mm-hmm. no idea what the rhythm is. You have no idea where tonic is, where the, your root position chords are. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what your um, home base is. You don't know if other instruments are coming in. You don't know if the whole piece is going to be just solo flute. You don't know how much well, time is going to pass. A lot of other people are on the stage. Well, of course. But I mean, just listening to it, you don't yeah. know what's going to happen next. And I think that's very much by design for Debussy. Drink. Debussy. And French Impressionism. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I won't be doing that the whole time. Um, you know, his main priority as an Impressionist composer, even though he didn't like the term Impressionism used for himself, he, yeah. he was a little bit offended by that. And I think it's because he um, was more worried about um, creating for the senses, you know, always bringing people's um, sensual responses. And I don't mean sexual. I mean, like um, hearing, feeling, smelling um, all into that same um embodiment. And I think the fact that he leaves things really open-ended is very purposeful in the beginning too. He doesn't give us any sense of, okay, we're going to start here, maybe go on a journey and maybe come home. It's, I think we're starting a piece. I think,
0: you know, it's a flute solo. I'm not quite sure. It's kind of going back to the improvisation aspect of it. Totally. Yeah. And there's also a piano arrangement of this, a solo piano arrangement. Which I think sounds more improvisi- improvisatory. Did yeah. I say that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Improvisatory. Is that what you said? That's how to say. Improvisatory. Just like, oh, Trivia Mafia is doing um, The Rural Juror. The Rural
1: Juror, yes. I just
0: watched that episode not too long <laughs> Which ago. Which I tried to say out loud in the car after I saw that, and I was like, Rural Juror. The Rural Juror. And it sounds like the Target lady for us. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, I love that. But anyway, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Um, improvisi- oh, improvisatory. Oh, it sounds more improvised on the piano because it's it's just really hard to improvise as a group, and when it's just one person controlling everything, but then you lose. We're going to talk about this later, the tone colors of the orchestra, which I think is the true beauty of this piece, Mm -hmm. is those tone colors. So should we move on to the next? Yes. One more thing about this
1: beginning um, melody here. This is a melody that we have to remember because it comes... Did I say melody? That's what I heard. The melody, excuse me, um, comes back many times in this piece. Not many times, a few different times in the piece. But you'll never hear it this way again, just solo flute with nothing else. You'll hear things added to it. You'll hear... Um, him mess with it a little bit, um, add to it, etc. So this is one little flute melody to keep in mind here. Um, the other thing we'll talk about in all of our examples is chromaticism, mm-hmm. meaning traveling up or down, or ascending or descending, I should say, by half step. Mm-hmm. Oh, drink. are singing. singing. Oh yeah, that's right. That's part <laughs> of our drinking game. That's Anytime what you sing,
0: You gotta drink.
1: <laughs> so you're traveling by half step. He never gives you that whole step. Um, clarity there so that adds to the ambiguity and uh, mystery too a little bit but yeah now we can move on all right let's do the second
0: sample let's do it beautiful oh yeah that was asia and i just totally blissed out at that moment (laughs) (laughs) and that was the the sample that you heard the first musical sample that you heard and then we just played a little bit farther past it
1: yeah we really wanted to highlight the solitary flute solo that chromaticism that mystery followed by the addition of a few different instruments we decided harp horn oboe a little bit there might be others i'm not sure those are the main ones that you really hear right away mm-hmm. it just totally changed the color and the texture it almost invites you into the piece you know you're kind of unsure listening to where the flute's gonna go and then you know it just invites you right in. it was that singing that know. was singing all right fine
0: mm-hmm.
1: it just brings you into this other world it's literally i imagine that um you've seen the wizard of oz right
0: mm-hmm.
1: where it changes into color
0: from black oh, yeah. and white.
1: That's what I imagine. It's just like, oh,
0: oh. we're in
1: color. I new world. I love that
0: description.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. Love it. It's like taking you from, because I like to think about this all being in outer space. It's like taking you from a planet where everything is black and white and then suddenly you're on a different planet where everything is in color, which is the same, but like, my scale's bigger because planets are really. you're big. on another planet now. I'm on another planet. All right. <laughs> I like it. I'll go to the moon with you. Oh, thanks. Cool. I'd go to the moon with you, too. Oh, what? Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah, we've got some um, harp glissandos, which, you guessed it, are chromatic glissandos. Every single note on the
0: harp is played at that moment. So that's um, on the piano, if you took your hand and just, like ran it up all the keys, and then back down. Mm-hmm. Like, I think pianos take the back of their hand. They have a real specific way of doing it. Sure, yeah. I'm not, like, super trained on the piano. Neither am I, obviously. But on the harp, it would be, you see all those strings. Are there 88 strings on a harp, too? Oh, no. I don't know either. I know several people who could answer never, this question for yeah, me.
1: Yeah, I've never even touched a harp before.
0: But you, like, it's all of the strings, and you just, like... Mm-hmm. Just all
1: of them. Yeah, so back to the chromaticism, it's every little half step that you can possibly play included in one two-second moment in the harp. It's just... Don't
0: hit the microphone. I'm ruining the equipment, everyone. Sorry.
1: Um, So, yeah, more chromaticism. We're going to find a lot of chromaticism in in this piece, I think. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, so I've heard... So the half-step, the da-da, or Mm -hmm. the octave, the da-da, I've heard both of them called the most poignant interval in music. Oh, I can see that. Do you have an opinion on either of those? Poignant. So the octave is the same note, but higher, and a half-step is the smallest interval unless you're a crazy, like, 20th century person who deals in like quarter tones.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a really good. I've never heard heard that before with the half step and the octave thing.
0: I haven't heard them together, but I've heard it described in different pieces yeah. where someone's like the half step is just so poignant or like the octave it's the most soul-wrenching interval. And I'm like, okay, but I've heard the half step called the most soul-wrenching. Like which one is it?
1: I think it depends less on the interval itself as it does the context. In which it happens
0: oh you're totally right
1: so you know because it's
0: all about how you set it up exactly yeah
1: so you know I think there are moments in um actually afternoon of Han afternoon of a Han where <laughs> the half step really does kind of um lead you on and pique your interest in a way it leads you on
0: Like It's such it, a it half-step provokes, thing to do. It provokes
1: your emotion, you can say. Um, <laughs> Which is being let on. But, yeah, you hear octaves all the time where you're like, oh, yeah, that was a moment. So I think, mm. yeah, it really depends. I don't know if there's one. I've also heard the whole tone is a really um, emotional.
0: Uh, I, I didn't mean to say whole tone. Tritone mm. is a really yeah. emotional. So the tritone is what's halfway between an octave if you split the 12- half steps in an octave in half um
1: the reason they call it a tritone is because there are three whole steps Mm. right so
0: g to c sharp for example oh i I actually didn't know that three whole steps but yeah that's a really like it's like pulling the taffy like you're pulling it and you just want to yep Mm-hmm.
1: and that corresponds to with the whole tone scale or something like that that gets two hey, sips two sips because you not sure. saying
0: a really nice whole. i'm tone not sure scale. all of those
1: were whole tones but no that was impressive considering i've had a couple drinks at this point
0: do you practice whole tone scales i did in college yeah it's I, been a while i don't think i've ever played a whole tone scale hmm yep Anyway. I'm impressed. I
1: should. So and anyway. that just adds not only a, a dimension of not knowing where you're going, mm-hmm. takes you away from your tonic, your root position chords, mm-hmm. um, and really doesn't allow you to grab onto um, any, one, any one chord because it's all whole steps. So yeah. um, you'll find that a lot in WC, too. I have an example later of what outlines a tritone or a whole tone scale. He likes that a lot in many of his pieces.
0: Yeah. So should we move on to the next sample? I think so. Do you remember what that one's about? (laughs) Because I just wrote the times.
1: That one is about... Oh, okay. Here we go. It's a whole tone flute melody. Mm. With chromatic strings. See, I told you, the more we drink, the more we sing. The more we sing, the more we drink.
0: (laughs) We shouldn't have put that in the chromatic
1: strings on the bottom so you hear the strings underneath the flute melody rising by whole step or half step i should say um again just kind of bringing us farther away from the planet (laughs) and what we conceive as a tonality really So that one's really cool because it mixes both chromaticism and the whole tone scale. You see these scales quite a bit in French Impressionist music. Um, Debussy loves his whole tone scales and chromaticism. In fact, I found a few different examples in this piece alone where it happens at the same time. Uh, It's really cool. And by the way, can I just say that I had such a fun time um, analyzing this piece? Yeah. Because I love the piece, so do you. But Mm. I've never actually sat down with the score and really looked at it. Um, and I mean, he's a genius, obviously. He is a genius. Um, so what we just heard was, yeah, a whole tone flute solo. So moving in all whole steps up and down, um, the range and then underlying chromatic string melodies. So, um, you get both weirdness in the flute melody and weirdness down below the strings and it adds to double weirdness. Yeah. Double weirdness. (laughs) Double, weird. double weirdness <laughs> is really what music theorists always say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, I wish they would.
1: <laughs> so, and it's hard to hear uh really unless you are are listening for those things. Um this happens again a little bit later. He has one measure of uh flute and cello chromaticism up top, and then the measure after, two measures after that, he does um whole tone measures i don't know if you want to talk about that one at all
0: being listened to that i think that's example 4
1: moment is so genius he gives one measure of chromaticism uh and then follows follows up with two measures of whole tone scale so you're getting double weirdness again that's double gonna be a our quote of the day is double <laughs> weirdness chromaticism and whole tone scale uh impressionist composers love that again it takes you farther and farther away from the universe you
0: don't quite know where you are in... Oh, we're leaving the universe. In your center. Oh, well, (laughs) didn't you know? (laughs) I do now. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we're just getting ready of any any sort of um, harmonic stability
0: here. For sure. And I also wanted to mention that this is complicated to play, not just because of the rhythmic weirdness and the lack of traditional tonality, but for the strings, like sometimes we're dividing by two, sometimes we're dividing by three or four. And so that means instead of like a piece of sheet music where you'd see like one line, and then you go to the next line, it looks almost like piano music where you see the right hand and the left hand on two lines, but then sometimes you see three lines and Sometimes you play the top line, sometimes you play the middle line, sometimes the bottom, and depending on where you're sitting, and if they're dividing by person, so you count, like there's two people in the front desk, and then two more, so that's three and four, and then five and six, and where do you fall in that? Or by stand, and yeah, like that's sometimes difficult. three is done by stand, so it's just like playing this in an orchestra is figuring out which line do I effing play just right now? Just the simple
1: logistics of it are yeah. hard. You have to find, yeah, what your role is, where you're playing, um, <clears throat> you know, whether you're the melody of harmony or little treblos
0: or, I mean, yeah. it's just. Endless. And it, it does create this beautiful ethereal sound. Mm-hmm. Having all of these people playing different things that might not line up with who's sitting next to you, but it might be more similar to what's going on in the winds or it might not be similar to anything else. So, I mean, even
1: as our listeners are listening to this piece and <clears throat> wondering quite where things fit and line up, trust me, we're going through the same thing on stage, which I shouldn't be admitting, but Debussy does not make it easy for us. He doesn't. Um, and that's but it okay. Does make a beautiful. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not mad about that just because <laughs> it really does um, reward you in
0: the end. WC is worth the trouble.
1: Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and we love him.
0: And we do love him.
1: You were talking before about rhythmic ambiguity. And I mm-hmm. think a melody that we've um, found in this piece is a perfect example of that because we have no idea where the pulse is. Um, and he's done that by design very clearly. Uh, not a lot of rhythmic pulse at all. It's just this floating, beautiful melody over the top with seemingly arbitrary, um, triplets kind of surging in the background. So it doesn't give us any sorts of rhythmic pulse at all. So, um, that's our next example here is this beautiful, beautiful, um, arguably the peak of the the piece, I would say. get your heartstrings a little bit it really does <laughs> it really i mean i don't know how he is able to convey that sort of emotion in such a short time i mean he has three or four major ideas happening at once you get the melody of course you get the flutes doing this little it doesn't really add to the um the rhythmic structure at all you know, it's there are three or four t- it
0: things that probably just happening. confuses the rhythm. It structure. really does.
1: I know whenever I've played this in the past, I always think like, all right, just be listening. Just be looking at the conductor. Cause- subdivide, subdivide. Yeah, exactly, because you don't really quite know where things line up. And I think this particular recording that we um, have been lucky enough to listen to, it does a, an extra good job at... Um, Kind of confusing us kind of disorients our yeah our view a little it bit it sounds
0: improvised it sounds like the image i get when i listen to this is like waves in a big body of water
1: that's a good way of putting it yeah
0: like it might be the ocean in minnesota that could be like superior because that's real big absolutely
1: yeah just endless waves just takes you off into another realm of of reality mm-hmm. um I think that's really what Debussy was after, was creating a, a new world for us all to live in, kind of just provoked by our senses and not worrying too much about reality, just kind of going with the flow, finding something new. He really propelled the um, the motion into modernism in that way, you know, uh, changing our classical expectations, mm-hmm. taking what Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven did for us and transforming it into this whole whole new um, type of music making that I think, uh, really influences the future in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. I gave a shout out to Dr. Kelly Harness at the U of M in the last episode. And I was talking about how she always compared art of the time period, uh, that we were listening to music in to whatever piece we were listening to. And what it, Something that has stuck with me since, I mean, that was freshman, sophomore year of college. Um, This music was being written around the same time that Monet was painting. And Monet painted with brush strokes. He didn't outline things and then paint them in. It was just brush strokes. And it was, she called it painting without lines. Mm -hmm. And this music is writing music without lines. It's exactly like, yeah, impressionist art. You know, you get those
1: dabs, uh, pastel colors, not mm-hmm. very vibrant colors. It's right. all very muted, kind yeah. of puts you into this relaxed state, yeah.
0: Which is that sound that you have to create, mm-hmm. too, when you're playing this.
1: Absolutely. Rough brush strokes, not too worried about uh, definition at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. I thought that was just a really incredible analogy. It's, it is, it's, yeah. it's like painting without lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. So... Our next example So really, our next
1: example um, has to do more with um, tone color changes. You know, we were saying at the beginning of the piece, you know, we start with this solitary flute solo, not quite knowing exactly where the piece is going to lead us, what's going to happen next. And the end, I find, is actually similar um, in that way. You know, he actually takes the flute melody from the beginning that we've all come to know and love uh, throughout the piece and he adds more to it he adds a solo cello line um which not only is the cello a beautiful instrument but it adds a, a lower timbre to the orchestra that you don't find in that solo flute it really adds a, a depth i think to the sound mm-hmm. um just adding one extra voice in there really does change the whole piece so um same melody different sound such a beautiful part of the piece yeah. it really kind of starts to wind down the piece a little bit you've been on this journey and it's starting to bring you back to the beginning oh yeah we've heard this before and now mm. it's just a little different we've we've evolved since the beginning of the piece which I love
0: you really have and I should mention this has been a question in a couple of the other episodes how long is this piece mm, it's mm-hmm. 10 minutes. only ten minutes. It only takes 10 you on minutes. This amazing ten minute journey. And we didn't talk about this as much before, but
1: Debbie C wrote this piece. It was based on um a poem called Afternoon of a or you know the pre- No, just After Afternoon of a Fall. Yep. Ah,
0: I always do it in like a Spanish <laughs> accent where I roll my R's. Um by
1: uh Stefan Malarme. Malarme? Malarme. Malarme? I don't know. I heard
0: Actually, British we... people say it, and they <laughs> See, sound really I knew sophisticated. We,
1: Ashley and I—I I asked her how it's pronounced because she took French. Oh. And she said, "Oh yeah, it's this," and then that sounded right enough. And then we looked at Google Translate or whatever, and it said Stefan. <laughs> and I said, what? "Oh, so it's pronounced Stefan." And she said, "No, it's definitely not Stefan. Don't say <laughs> don't say Stefan on the air tomorrow." And I said, "Stefan, Stefan." So his name is. Stéphane. Stéphane
0: Mallarmé, <laughs> Mallarmé, Malarmé. Well, you remember the first episode, I talk about how to pronounce Ida Figgs and Yes. The different pronunciations I got it's on like YouTube were like Fikes or something. Ida Fikes. Ida Fikes, that's what it was. <laughs> that yeah. was my favorite one. So inaccurate. I enjoyed but, that one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so anyway, so he uh wrote this prelude based on the poem. The poem. There weren't any literal really um, like, oh, this melody represents this and this and this. Mm -hmm. Some composers get much more detailed about um, certain instruments representing this and that. But um, he was just more worried about creating the color of uh, a fawn, a young fawn, waking Mm -hmm. up from a nap in the afternoon, running into some nymphs, having a gay old time with those nymphs and then going back to sleep.
0: So Is what I read. (laughs) In the, the BBC podcast, that I listened to, someone described the silences in the music because the transitions are often seamless, but if you think about the solo flute that opens this piece, there are silences between those notes. Mm -hmm. And someone compared those to the space around the poet's words. Oh, that's a great... Which I thought was really powerful. Mm -hmm. And in the last episode, too, we talked about how silence is so just full of potency mm-hmm. and yeah it, it carries a lot of weight it sure does to be silent um dang it that's another drink <laughs> there's <laughs> the rso which i meant to look up i think it's the royal symphony orchestra had a podcast for a while hmm. it looks like it's like gone by the wayside but when i searched this piece it showed up but they didn't have a profile picture or like a podcast homepage that i could go to but i, I the episode was still there, so I listened to it, and they called this erotic music based on a poem. Ooh, I like that. And they mentioned that you couldn't really express erotic feelings in the time that this was written. Oh, I meant to look up when this piece was written. Did you look that up?
1: 1894? People can fact check me on that.
0: (laughs) it will be my correction. 1890s. 1890s. Okay, so... At that time, you couldn't really express that those sorts of things. Except for maybe chromaticism Freely. and all of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could do it like surreptitiously through music. That's a word I learned from wicked. Surreptitiously? Surreptitiously. That's a good and one. Also, clandestine. That's a word I learned from wicked. What's that? Uh, secretively.
1: Clandestine. Clandestine. Wow, clandestine. that sounds almost German clandestine
0: clandestinely is what they say in the musical so that's the that's the word i know how to pronounce clandestine i think is the cool root of the word anyway thank you musicals for making me more literate
1: yes thank you (laughs) wicked
0: yeah shout out to wicked i've never seen it (laughs) i love wicked so much anyway yeah so i think that was all i had to say should we listen to our last (laughs) the last example
1: is another example of color changes so uh, he W ha- C drink has taken this Just original did it. <laughs> flute melody that we've heard time and time again, given it to the horns. This time, French horn, which Asia loves. She I do said love before. The French horn. Um, and first of all, slows it down so slowly. or puts it so slowly. It slows it slows down. Slows it down so, so slowly, slowly. Really articulate. It's not a champagne. Wow. I love it. It's
0: um, prosecco. Um, yeah,
1: right. Sorry, prosecco. tell yeah, You're not allowed to say champagne. Um, <laughs> So, almost to an unrecognizable level. Um, you know, oh, is that the melody? Is it different? Is it not? I'm not sure. So he gives that slow chromatic melody to the horn, as well as reharmonizes it with the low violin, G-string, um, almost snaky kind of um, feel to it. So, Slytherin snaky. and snaky. There yeah. you go. So... <laughs> You know, you're kind of, again, you're like, I think I recognize it, but it's different this time. So he really unwinds the piece um, really successfully with with this new Mm reharmonization. So you almost recognize the melody, but not quite. Mm -hmm. It's really different. You don't quite know what to do with it, but... Shortly after that,
0: the flute's ready to remind you what it is.
1: It is ready. It's so ready to remind you. Our flute is our fawn. And then goes back to sleep for another dream. (laughs) Into dreamland.
0: During nap time in the
1: afternoon. During nap time in the afternoon
0: for the (laughs) fawns. So this is truly such a wonderful piece. And I recommend listening to it in its entirety. I know you listened to a different recording on YouTube. What Do you remember the orchestra?
1: Um, let's check it out. So, to? yes. This, by the way, I cannot thank you enough for this opportunity. I think this piece is in my top three for sure. Oh. I've always wanted to research more about it. This was a great way to do it. And I just really have learned so much. I think that was it. I think that was your phone. That was an advertisement. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Well, you're welcome,
0: and I am so glad that you are on here. I don't know what orchestra it is, I'm sorry. You don't okay.
1: It's the first one that pops up when you YouTube
0: afternoon of a fawn. Okay, so you wrote it in the English name. Yes, because I do not speak French. <laughs> that's fair, neither do I. <laughs> uh oh, that's another drink. Sorry guys. Hopefully you're still with us and listening. Hopefully we're still with us and listening. I don't know. So I listened to another podcast, which a woman from the Ballet Russe was on. Uh, I think she was doing a lecture at the University of Oxford, and she was talking about the ballet references. Mm-hmm. And Nijinsky choreographed a ballet to this piece. He sure did. There's some interesting stuff about this. It's super correlated with the Rite of Spring. Which yes, I'm so I am
1: obsessed with the Rite
0: of Spring too. I, as I, I love it so much. If anyone would love to visit our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/poormea Mozart, and give us lots of money so we can get the rights to the Rite of Spring, maybe somehow I would the rights, love R I
1: T E the rights to the Rite of Spring. Just kidding. I think it's R I
0: G H T. I know. To the R-I-T-E. <laughs> I'm just kidding. R I G H T S <laughs> to the uh, right. oh. r-i-t-e of spring. I don't know. I, I was trying to do frigalicious. <laughs> <Goodness, spring-ish. laughs> Springlicious. Springlicious? Springlicious. Oh god. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry I did that. I won't do it again. <laughs> But I would love to do a podcast about The Rite of Spring because not only is the music amazing and the story is incredible, but the story of the premiere is incredible. I want to do that. Didn't you say that there was already someone who was doing it? I didn't. Well, maybe. Oh. We can make it a team. We'll podcast. do it again. Yeah. Okay. This was a But fun Nijinsky day. also choreographed The Rite of Spring working closely with Stravinsky who wrote the music. Um, so the ballet for Afternoon of a Fawn was premiered on May 29th of 1912, and apparently it was not well-received.
1: Second most to the premiere of the Rite of Spring,
0: I heard. <laughs> Where, not to, like, give it away, but people actually beat each other to death and at like, the premiere of the Rite of Spring. like, we're throwing, like... Food and it blues was, and like, it was insane hitting each other with bottles and like, really yeah. bad. Stuff. And if you want more information about that and want to know the science behind it, Radio Lab did an amazing podcast about what the heck happened in people's minds that made that happen. That at was the, the moment premiere of the Red of Spring. <laughs> also, the book <laughs> the sure, Rights of Spring is a good book to read about that.
1: Oh, um, I'll lend you the book. Okay, it's a really good book. Okay. Um, so the rites of spring, but
0: happened. stuff happened. So afternoon of a fun, the ballet premiered on May 29th, 1912. It was apparently not well received, but Nijinsky was a superstitious guy, according to this woman from the ballet Russe Mm -hmm. and decided to premiere the rite of spring on the same day a year later, May 29th, 1913. He thought it would be a good omen for success, but it was just a good omen for a cluster. And did you know that Nijinsky
1: danced the part of the fawn himself? He did.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's what the RSO podcast talks about that being like, yeah, really erotic. Uh I just kind of want to see it. Yeah. I would love to see what that that means. I kind of want to see the Rite of Spring performed too. Something else I thought was interesting was. May 29th is also the anniversary of the fall of Constantinople. Oh, wow. Which happened in 1453, which when I looked this up, this was mentioned in the University of Oxford podcast. Was May even a thing in 1453? Oh, did they? Like, did they have months and days then? But if you Google it, it says it happened on May 29th of 1453. That just seems too long ago for calendars as we know it.
1: Well, who came up with the, was that
0: the Greeks? I think it might have been uh, Julius and Augustus Caesar, I think, had a lot to do with it. I'm not good at history, but I know, like, July had 31 days, and then Augustus was like, my month is going to have 31 days, too. And so... Both July and August have 31 days. So, listeners, fact check us and write us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Write us at... With the correct information. ...at gmail.com. Or... Wait, before I talk about this stuff, you had a quiz. Oh, I have a few quiz questions. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay.
1: So, question one.
0: Oh, should I answer this? I didn't look at your quiz.
1: Or should listeners
0: comment
1: oh, oh okay i'll read the question and the answers and then they can write in rather than give, revealing the answer don't give the answer. okay i won't okay number one what is a tone poem we didn't talk about that in our podcast
0: oh so
1: good they'll have to
0: think. <laughs> google it don't
1: google it think about it
0: think about it your options um, are a strauss is the master of the tone poem.
1: His most famous tone poem is...
0: Don Juan? Yeah. Which we wanted to do, but it's not in public domain. Oh, goodness gracious. I know.
1: Yep, that's his most famous. Uh, it's... Oh, okay, I won't give it away. I almost <laughs> just gave away the answer. Uh, so what is a tone poem? Letter A. A. A poem that takes a sassy tone with its mother. B. A piece of music inspired by art or literature. C. A poem with toned muscle definition. <laughs> D. A piece of music written by a poet. E. A poem that references a piece of music. There you go. You can have fun with that. Okay. If you want to google it, that's cheating.
0: Otherwise, <laughs> write into us. It's with like trivia your best guess. Use your noodle, not your Google. Yes.
1: Okay, number two. Which of these musical elements will probably not be found in Impressionist music? A, extreme chromaticism. B, driving rhythm. C, harmonic ambiguity. D, chord combinations. Or E, references to nature.
0: I have some ideas. I'll answer your quiz after. Great.
1: And then the third one that I came up with. What is Debussy's middle name? <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, really unfair. This is my favorite
0: thing ever. Okay. A. Jacques. <laughs> B. Sebastian. <laughs> D. Can you say that more French?
1: Sebastian.
0: Sebastian. 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 <laughs> So no, I really
1: can't. C. Debbie. D. Claude.
0: E. He doesn't have one. Oh, I guess we never said his first name. So that's gonna be all you Debbie C fans out there. You might be surprised. Hope you know Asia. that already. I might be surprised. You might be surprised by his first name. Middle name. The question was about his middle name,
1: right? And middle name. <laughs> you might be surprised about what you find.
0: Herm, herm, herm.
1: So good luck with that. <laughs> Write us oh. in.
0: Yikes. Okay. Um, so I guess this gives you something to comment about on our um, Apple Podcast page, Facebook at Poor Mozart, Instagram at Poor Me A Mozart. Please rate, review, subscribe um giving us a five star rating really helps us out we had, one person thank you whoever you were i think you i know who you were um gave us a five five star five, five For sure. star rating For sure. um if you want to give us a one star rating i mean i guess you can but i would really prefer that you email us at twincitysymphony@gmail.com at gmail.com and just like tell us what we can do better or if you have any recommendations for pieces, email us at TwinCitySymphony at gmail.com. Um, we have a Patreon, patreon.com, I think, slash poor me a Mozart. Everything's poor me Mozart, because I finally decided on the podcast game. Also, this is the first episode to be recorded since we've gone live. Which is really exciting. Oh my gosh, we've gone live? We've gone live!
1: Meaning everyone, like a thousand million people are listening right now? Well, 22 people are listening. <gasps> yeah. So 22? 22? That's whole actually quite people, Which is more than I expected. <laughs> That's I more than I expected. Six people yeah. would listen.
0: So thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you, 22 people. If you like it, share it with I the I bet friends. you one is my girlfriend. Probably. Oh, and one is you. <laughs> <laughs> and one is me. Am I one listening is you? right now? And I think, well, I'm technically a subscriber. No, cool. you and Lindsay listened on your oh, sure. carpool to that. That's right. We sure day. did. Yeah. Oh, we loved it. And then you told me that I very confidently said The Red of Spring was written in 1981, which <laughs> I know is not true. But I know you know. I don't. I know you know. I'm frustrated by that one, but it was great. It's okay. You did your uh, corrections goodness. corner. I did my corrections corner. So we're correct. My favorite murder style. Right. Thank you, Karen and Georgia, for inspiring me to do a podcast and.
1: This whole thing, out. can I just say, you're doing such a great job with it. I hope it evolves over time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Cindy Lou Who, who's been sitting on my she lap this time. She has been calling with time. Kelsey,
0: like, really hard. It makes it so much
1: easier to talk about Debbie Z when I have a cuddly kitty in she's my lap. She's
0: so warm. She is truly the best cuddler. She really is. Yeah, she's just in this little circle, and she's, she's so sweet.
1: Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being this here. This was really Thank
0: You did all the work that I usually do for this podcast, so it was much easier for me.
1: We should do this again sometime. We should!
0: But I
1: think. But in the meantime, cheers. cheers!
0: Thank you for listening.